Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dreams and Screams. We're your hosts, as always, Ashley and Tammy, and we have something a little bit different for you today. Yeah, we're going to do a little tandem story situation. Tammy's going to kick us off with one, and then I'll come in on the back end and give you my story. We were doing some research to continue the spooky theme, and we came across some interesting stories that are just not long enough for a full episode, so we figured why not throw both of them at you. Yeah, two for one special. Yeah. <laughs> grab your coffee, grab a little sweet treat, some candy. Yeah, we're drinking iced coffee like usual. Yeah, always with iced coffee. Grab yourself a little a little drinky drink and let's let's get into it. Yeah, settle in. I have a weird story for you. Ooh. So this is the story of Kennedy Ife. I hope that's how you say the last name. I don't really know. It's like super weird. I found this again on all that's interesting.com. God damn. There's some good stuff. I found a couple that I'm like, you know, banking for later. Yeah, it's like a whole compilation of the weirdest things. But I'll just start at the beginning here. On August 19th, 2016, 26-year-old Kennedy Ife began to exhibit peculiar behaviors and made some like really disturbing remarks. He became super aggressive towards his family. He would like bite his father. He Bite? Yeah, he bit him. Oh. Hard, I guess. I don't know. Um, not a love bite. Not a love bite. Okay. Listen to this. He threatened self-harm by wanting to cut his own penis off. I'm sorry. (laughs) Run it back. (laughs) Run it back. What? (laughs) So he was like losing his mind. He was threatening to cut his own dick off. (laughs) I just am already like, (laughs) can we spike these drinks or something? (laughs) I know. We might need to switch to wine. Yeah. Maybe something a little stronger. Okay. So he's biting his family members. He's threatening to cut his own dick off. He was claiming that a snake or python was living inside of him. Obviously, parents are super concerned. And, you know, just like every one of us, first thing they thought to do was call a minister to help their son. Not a doctor, a minister. So parents, Kenneth, 64, Josephine, 56 really believed that he needed a home intervention by their minister, not medical intervention, along with his siblings, Roy, who was 33 at the time, Harry, 32, Colin, 26, Samuel, 20, and Daniel, 20. So they had a lot of kids. Wow. Where does this take place again? So it's happening in North London. The entire family claimed that a demon had possessed Kennedy, and only through an exorcism they could vanquish the demonic presence and save him automatically they jump to exorcism yeah so as you do (laughs) as you do right it's like not he needs mental health treatments and just help in general right or assessment yeah by a professional for the next three days they tie him down using handcuffs cable ties rope and they pray over him the father instructed each son to guard Kennedy and use as much force as necessary to restrain him. His brother Colin told police, It's clear that thing was in him, that we believed it was a demon because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him. So, like, they wholeheartedly believed that he was possessed mm-hmm. and that they needed to do an exorcism. They were restraining him so that he wouldn't hurt himself or others. 
So they were basically saying that if they didn't restrain him, he was trying to hurt people in their family. A church minister visited the possessed man, I say that in quotations, two days before he was allegedly killed by his family in a botched exorcism. Whoa. So Kennedy dies. Spoiler alert. I wish I could find just more details between like everything that happened Mm -hmm. from when he started exhibiting like just weird behavior to when he died. But every single article I found has like just the facts and just not much detail within there. I really, really tried. So if any of you guys know any details, send us an email because I want to know. So basically, this poor man just laid there slowly dying. He became severely dehydrated and developed significant breathing problems over the course of three days. He was bound to his bed, obviously received no medical attention. He couldn't breathe and... Literally three days after they started this exorcism, he was pronounced dead. In the end, he wound up dying from cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. But he, like I said, he was severely dehydrated. And I don't think that they fed him That's, or gave yeah. him any water or anything like that throughout the course of three days. So that makes sense. Then my brain was going there too. I'm like, if they have him tied up and they're like, oh, we can use extreme force, they're probably not worried about his basic needs. Yeah, like, he probably couldn't go to the bathroom, drink water, and just... I mean, I don't know. Again, I tried to really find, like, what was the deal with the family? Were they, like, overtly religious? Were they... What led them to that versus, like, a route that you would probably go first? Yeah, because I guess I just, like, try to put myself in their shoes, and I'm like, if I truly believed someone in my family was possessed, right? Some weird shit's going on. I believe in spirits and things like that. But it's just such a contrast to, like, also the not caring about their well-being in the sense that you would still make sure they're being fed and, like, I don't know. I guess I would never try to have an exorcism, but. And unless he wasn't accepting of, like, if they tried to give him food or water, you know, I don't know. Yeah, this is where I wish I could have found more details. And this is why I couldn't do, like, a whole episode on this story because it's just some, like, really crazy weird facts but there's no details within that Mm -hmm. but unfortunately kennedy dies all seven of kennedy ife's family members so the parents and all the siblings were accused of manslaughter false imprisonment and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult they did a post-mortem examination that revealed 60 wounds including a possible bite on Kennedy Ife's body. Obviously, Kenneth Ife, which was the dad, and the four of his brothers had, like, some injuries as well, but I don't really know if it was from Kennedy or just from using force on him. Right, like, they got in a tussle, you know, and then, like, naturally you get a gash or a bruise. But they were clearly rough with him because he had over 60 wounds. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, then you said a bite mark? Yeah, so I don't know if he bit himself. Which is plausible. That's not um, unheard cause of. Because it would be weird that the dad or someone else bit him. Yeah. When they were accusing Saying him. he was biting. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, maybe he bit himself if he was claiming to self-harm. In the end, jurors heard the family held deep religious beliefs and were connected with the Jesus Sanctuary Ministries in Southeast London. 
The dad told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts and use overwhelming force, but denied association with cults, occults, and secret societies played any part in the death. So that was kind of weird to me. Yeah. The fucking cherry on top of this case, though, is that jury deliberates for four days, and all seven family members were cleared of any charges in March 14th, 2019. I don't get it. So not held liable at all at the very least a vulnerable adult died under their care yeah you would think that carries along at the very least probation even if it's like a light sentence or something like that right because i would think that and you know i'm not very well versed in like laws you know in london in the uk but if an elderly person dies under your watch here in the u.s you would get charged as well yeah they're gonna look into it so the fact that there were seven of them, they mm-hmm. didn't call, not one of them called emergency services, that just seems odd to me that they were cleared of the charges. I may be jumping ahead, but are there any autopsies? Are there any, like, investigation from that point well, of view? When they did the postmortem examination, so the autopsy, it was, like, when they revealed those 60 wounds. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. aside from that, nothing else. So there was no, like... Other inquiry. He had a parasite or he had this other mental thing. Cardiac arrest is what he died of. It was confirmed Uh, by the autopsy. It it just seems fishy. Unless, and again, I don't know how the law works there, but maybe they were just in a very religious area, so perhaps there was bias from the jury. Yeah, that's true. That's like the only thing I can think of because I just don't see how you don't find them responsible. Yeah. That kind of baffled me. Obviously, this tragedy raises a lot of important questions about the legal system's ability to deal with cases involving religious beliefs and practices because it's kind of an iffy subject. It's all very opinion-based, of course. So obviously, freedom of religion is protected by law, but the line between religious expression and criminal behavior can be difficult to navigate. In some cases, religious beliefs may be used to justify abusive or neglectful behavior, which is what happened here. Mm -hmm. And it's truly up to the legal system to determine whether such behavior should be excused on the basis of religious freedom, which I don't think it should in this case. In Kennedy's case, his family members were initially charged with manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. They were obviously found not guilty. They were cleared of all the charges, but we're not the only ones who have criticized the verdict as a failure of the legal system to protect vulnerable individuals from abuse and neglect. It's children, it's the elderly, it's vulnerable adults who are taking advantage of, you know, I obviously don't know what truly happened to Kennedy. Do we know where his family is now? Like they're just living their lives? Yeah, they're just living their lives. As far as I could find, they still live in London. So, I don't know. At the end of it all, really, I guess there needs to be more awareness around mental health and the dangers of unregulated practices such as exorcism. I don't know how common exorcisms are to begin with in this day and age, anyway. It's one of those things. Yeah, in this day and age, you look back and you think of all the movies and sensationalized stories. Is it myth? Is it real? Is it all just for Hollywood? But in 2019 and beyond. Yeah, this exorcism happened in 2016. They were cleared in 2019, but that's so recent. Yeah. 
But yeah, that's the story. I, again, could not find much more details than that. I do want to look into this Jesus Sanctuary Ministries in Southeast London. So I might do like a little story on that. I don't really know what their deal is, but the whole point of the dad really just trying to, like one of his main things was saying that they were not associated with any secret societies or anything occult or cults. It just seems so, such a random thing to say. And maybe it's because of the whole exorcism thing. But personally, I don't associate exorcism with cults and the occult to begin with. It's like more so like a Catholic-based thing. Right. So the fact that he kept saying that he's not associated with anything like that almost makes it seem more fishy. Yeah, like are you trying to cover something up? That may or may not be there. Or is he just saying whatever and it's like you're actually making it worse. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe he just like was one of those people who were like, like yeah, just shut up. Yeah, just stop talking because you sound stupid. But yeah, I mean, exorcisms have always creeped me the fuck out. Yeah, I think that's one. That's definitely one place where I'm like, I can't go too far down that rabbit hole because... There is just something that it opens up the doors for too many things and questions in my brain. Freaky can't process that information. It goes from being like, ooh, interesting and creepy and scary to like, oh shit, I don't want to mess with this. Oh my god, I know. Um, that movie, what was it? The Exorcism of Emily Rose or whatever. That shit fucked me up. Yeah. I um I don't think I ever watched it. It like freaked me. (laughs) Any of those like weird possession type movies like kind of freak me out i stopped watching them after a while because they're all the same anyway it's like you know their head rolls back and they're walking like they're crap walking backwards the shit's creepy (laughs) let's stop while we're ahead (laughs) you're like can we not talk about this please so wait let me go ahead and just cite some sources every single article i read was almost verbatim the same which was kind of weird well, like I said, I got this on allthatsinteresting.com. Um, I also read uh, Esquire.com article by Matt Miller and Lauren Crank. A vocal media article by Arivu. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And then I found a couple of things on Wikipedia. Sweet. Well, exorcism is not sweet. But yeah. Interesting story. So that's story. my weird story. Yeah. For the week. In other news, though, we're recording. It's what, October 7th today? Did you see that CBS News article? It's like going all around the internet. I saved it because I wanted to talk about it. Of the 115 bodies that they found improperly stored at a Colorado funeral home. I did not. Tell me. It is fucking wild. So apparently investigators in Fremont County Sheriff's Office gained entry to the business and found more than 115 bodies improperly stored. Neighbors were, like, complaining of of weird smells, so dead bodies. Like rank. Yes. Dead body smells. They obviously had a lot of questions. They knew the funeral home was there, but you don't normally smell them. No. So. Or really usually ever see anything going on. It's always just like, yeah, that's the funeral home and you just mosey on to your... Yeah, you just see, you know, maybe gatherings there when there's a funeral, but that's about it. Like, you don't... It's not apparent that they're there, really. So, it's still an ongoing investigation. They really haven't said much. The place about, like, 25 square... 25. That would be tiny. (laughs) 2,500 square feet. 
and they obviously are not providing too much detail right now because they don't want to further victimize the families of the deceased whose bodies they found but they did say that the air of the funeral home where the bodies were stored was horrific and police said this so you know they've seen some shit yeah i mean and if we're gonna talk some spooky shit that place is gonna get haunted. <laughs> um, that place is haunted. Like, for sure. You know. Also, I'm pretty sure every funeral home is haunted. It's true. They did declare local disaster emergency due to the circumstances surrounding the investigation. They're saying it's going to be a very, very lengthy process, probably lasting several months, and they're gonna need to do forensic ID, including fingerprints, DNA, to because they don't even know whose bodies those are. My God. Also, just, I mean, smell aside, I also just, like, went to a very, like, gross place in my brain around, like, bacteria and rotting and just, like, all of that, you know, like, the visual side of things. It was not a pretty image. Also, I'm just, like, they're really not saying much at this point, but improperly stored, does that mean, like, where were they? Were they just everywhere? Were they on a room? Well, and why were these people naturally, again, you would think somebody's at the funeral home, they're being prepared for their funeral service, they have the funeral service, they go on to the burial site, they, you know, why were there that many bodies? Did they go there and then nobody claimed that? Like, what, what would that even mean, I guess? Yeah, even then, you know when somebody dies they kind of go through the process really quickly there's only a certain amount of limited time you have right to have a funeral and a burial yeah i know that they usually do have unclaimed bodies but they are stored in a very specific way i would assume a lot of these bodies are in various stages of decomp being that there was such a bad smell or they get moved to another facility like can imagine in one funeral home let's say there's x amount of unclaimed bodies you would think this is morbid to make room for the incoming yeah you would have to have some kind of flow of where these go for the next so is that the case were they like well we'll just haul them off to the back like that's well just like a morgue i would assume they have like refrigerated areas and non you know yeah so they obviously don't know like which of these bodies were designated for burial or cremation or anything like that but it's definitely out of the ordinary because you don't just have 115 bodies that are not properly being stored. Yeah. And the whole point that. of a funeral home is a designated spot for bodies. So they should know how to take care of them. The FBI is obviously involved. They've dispatched specialized lab teams from Quantico. They're literally having like a whole hazardous response and a disaster recovery team because it's so many bodies. Well, yeah, it's like a biohazard. Well, and also, you know, there's a time restraint because they're just going to decomp. Yeah. So they have to ID all these bodies. And I would assume, you know, they'll have to ID. They'll have to track down families, figure out how these people died. Did they all die of natural causes? Are they all from the area? Where did these bodies come from? There's like a lot they have to do. We're going to have to revisit this once more. So we're definitely going to revisit this for sure. It just kind of came across my feed and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) That is not something I expected. So apparently these like hazardous response teams and the disaster recovery team 
are teams with additional training and specialized equipment that serve to process scenes of national magnitude. To include the response to 9-11 and major airline incidents, so they'll be coming in the next few days. Oh, wow. So they are taking this shit seriously, as they should. Yeah. They did say that any family members that may have used the return to nature funeral home placed in an email to 23-1941 at fremontso.com, leave a contact number and a time to call, in the email they will respond to each and every email and if you do not use email then you can contact the fremont emergency management call line at 719-276-7421 they're going to have victims assistance personnel responding to messages beginning october 6th between the hours of 8 a.m and 6 p.m so if anybody you know has used that funeral home, they yeah. definitely need to contact need to, to make call. sure their loved ones have been. I know that's where my brain just, when you were saying that, I'm like, if you have a closed casket, you didn't see the body. Yeah, Who's you wouldn't to say? Know. Yeah, whoa. Whoa, my brain just did you would never. Yeah, you wouldn't even know, like, what happened. This just, like, blew my mind. I was like, what the fuck's going on? So more to come as it develops. I literally found the story, like, a day or two ago, I think. Yeah, I hadn't heard this yet, so I'm definitely interested. All right, what do you have for us today? Again, keeping on the spooky stuff. Well, have you ever heard of the Casket Girls of New Orleans? So I have a little bit. Okay. But. Yeah, we've both been to New Orleans, so I'm like, this is probably something you've also heard. But again, short little story. The story I'm about to tell you is about the mysterious, I'm going to say this wrong, but filet a la cassette in French is girls with a case, but they became known as the casket girls. So this one dates back really far. 1728. Oof. Yeah. New Orleans, bustling with activity, a new city. Oh my God. Can you just picture that? Yeah. Especially when you watch shows. My dad recently wanted me to watch like Gilded Age and like those kind of things. And you just think of the visuals of like the streets are dirt. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. So as you can imagine, sounds of unloading cargo, shouting citizens and men back and forth, echoes of the horse hooves down the street, clumping in the dirt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like just a bunch of bustling noises happening. However, there was one problem with the city of New Orleans. Because the early explorers were mostly male, the Catholic priests and officials in the area became very concerned that Without wives, the future of the French territory was basically at risk. Mm -hmm. There was also a very, like, grainy kind of fuzzy reputation around the city that it was a bit unruly. Perhaps it could be because there was a lack of women to kind of domesticate the men. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So they turned to the bishops and the mayors of of the French port cities who agreed to empty some of their jails and their brothels to, you know, populate the city with some women. Unfortunately, these women didn't really make good domestic partners. No, these Uh, were the women who were like, fuck you, I do what I want. Yeah, so they didn't make great partners for the colonial men, and they needed an alternative plan. So they asked King Louis IV, I believe, for assistance, The king talked to the Bishop of Quebec and appealed to the convents and the orphanages in France. They sought out young women who could 
contract and come to the colony, basically. The bishop's expectation was that the virtuous women from the convents would be better candidates for of the marriages. Course. You they know? wanted just girls who would listen. Yeah. In some articles, there was also the promise that, like, potentially they would be virgins. Of course. Fucking history. Of course. It's, it's always just how the it same goes, shit yeah. over and over again. So they gathered up a group of... In some articles, it was 88. Other articles, it was upwards of 200. A shitload of women. Um, and set out on their journey to New Orleans. Probably girls, too. I mean, yes. they were probably young. I say women loosely. Yes, they were yeah. teenagers. Mm-hmm. Again, life expectancy, all those things of the time. Like, it's it was different. So... To be married to come of age was a much younger age. Mm -hmm. The passage across the Atlantic took months, like five, six months. Jesus. It was a long time. The ship was said to have stopped in like Haiti or Cuba to re-up on supplies. There were different accounts, but likely in one of those two countries to stock up on supplies like water before they continued into the Gulf of Mexico. The passage was a difficult one, and over the course of the six months, a number of them died from disease travel-related diseases like yellow fever. So not everybody made the entirety of the journey. So finally, the mysterious new visitors arrive. The men's prayers are answered. The ship La Nouvelle Orleans had finally arrived. The women are guided down wooden planks and touch soil for the first time in months. Oh my god, wait. Can you imagine what that fucking ship smelled like? Yeah, no, I don't want to imagine. Months of travel. I fly like one eight-hour plane ride, and I'm like, I need seven showers. Yeah, you feel like grimy. Mm Mm-hmm. Oof, yeah. Yeah, the smell on that was probably rank as well. Just ripe. (laughs) So they step onto soil for the first time in months. Each girl or woman was in possession of an alleged coffin-shaped cassette or small chest that was said to hold all of their belongings. After nearly six months traversing the rough waters of the Atlantic Ocean, of course, the young women were very eager to arrive in the new city. Touch fucking ground. Yeah. Again, as I mentioned, these women were handpicked by the bishop on the order of the French king. So, as we mentioned, they were all of appropriate age and background. They were the model of what a wife. They in their eyes, wife. what they thought. Yes. Should look like. And their task in the new city was very simple. To make a good match and marry one of the French colonists inhabiting the budding Louisiana colony to ensure a bright future for the city. Mm-hmm. Upon the sight of them, however, rumors begin to circulate through the town. The eager male onlookers were a bit caught off guard. Okay. The women looked more dead than they looked alive. They were emaciated and they noticed the small cases, which they remarked that looked like burial caskets. Pale. The Frenchmen all muttered to themselves as they spot the women that they thought were going to become their brides. So pale that their skin was beginning to turn red and blister within moments of being in the Louisiana sun. So this was a far cry from the hardy women and prospective wives that these men, you know, expected. They thought they were going to be hand-delivered. 
This yeah, they thought they were going to get this perfect little package. Yep. So the expected joy and excitement of their arrival quickly fades and doubts and suspicions start to flood the city. Their name at the time, also Cassette, morphed into like Casquette in the Cajun French. Mm -hmm. So it's natural to realize how that went from Cassette to Casket. Mm -hmm. From there, the marriages did not go as expected. It's said that the local men gravely disrespected the women. Some of the women were placed into unwanted marriages and then were mistreated by the husbands. Others that weren't placed into marriages or relationships with these men forced into prostitution. Surprise to no one. Yeah, exactly. From there, the French king had basically had enough and he was like, this isn't working. The girls got to go back. So he demanded they return to France. This is where the story or the myth of the casket girls really takes its turn. So the casket girls are placed at this point. Again, the king wants them to get out of the city. The plan didn't work. You know, scratch that, reverse it. Let's start over. Yeah, get them out of here. The girls were placed under the protection of the Ursuline nuns until they were brought to their next home. Their trunks were stored on the third floor of the convent. And the third floor basically was closed off until the day the casket girls were to be shipped back to France. It's said that the reasoning for closing it off at the time was to protect their belongings, to protect the girls. Meanwhile, at the same time, the city starts to experience mysterious deaths and increased mortality. This is after the girls' arrival, is what everybody in the city feels. Many of the girls also start disappearing and leaving behind these chests. At the same time, one of the windows on that third floor has a strange habit of opening in the middle of the night. The nuns themselves even begin to feel, well, this is a little suspicious, a little sus. They're a little iffy about it. Were the girls really who they say they are? Or is there something more sinister going on? Why is this window flapping open? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be locked up there. When the nuns finally return to collect the girls' items, they discover the infamous caskets were empty. The nuns were unable to find any clue or any trace of the girls once belonging, like once their belongings. So none of their clothes, potential dowry money, like anything that was said to be in the chest, they were all empty. Empty, nothing. No trace of the belongings. How big are these? You said small, but like. So that's the thing is there's different, not big enough to fit a body, but a small trunk. Okay. So that's where the myth kind of grows is like they're saying casket. Does it really fit a grown man's body? Probably not. Could it fit a smallish girl? Perhaps. Perhaps. Is it just fishy that we're calling them caskets and each girl has a trunk assigned to them? There were other articles that I read that said they were even smaller, like a personal size you could carry. But most of the stories say they were an actual trunk. It was like a carry-on luggage. Yeah. <laughs> it has to fit. You know, my head, I'm just ships. picturing like a coffin-shaped carry-on with the little handle Ooh, on that wheels. Would be cute. That would look cute. Merch opportunity. <laughs> and it just says casket girl on it. <laughs> my brain is spinning. Nobody steal that idea. Okay, this is <laughs> trademarked. All that said, there's nothing inside the caskets. And one word is added to the rumor, as you can imagine. Vampire, pale skin, blisters in the daylight, mysterious disappearances, deaths. Some even commented of blood-stained lips. Ooh. 
Of course, the stories maybe have embellishments. Hand mirrors that the girls had in their possession when they came over started disappearing. Farmland crops start failing. Things start rotting in the city of New Orleans. Ooh, creepy. So had the girls transported vampires with them to the New World? Did they bring French vampires with them? Did they these vampires feast on the city at night? What exactly was in those caskets? We'll never truly Wait, know. Wait, so they don't think the girls are vampires. They think they brought vampires. Well, that is the first theory, is they brought vampires. Which makes sense, because women are just not capable of doing anything themselves. <laughs> she went there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the girls couldn't be the vampires. Yeah. They had well, to bring vampires. So that's theory number one, is... Did they bring vampires? Were they like the agent that brings them to the new world? Here, let's take over a new city. The second theory is that the girls themselves were vampires. They had even been locked away for some time after being ordered back to France. Was this under the guise of like protect the girls or was this actually for the city's protection? Are we in danger because of them? So there is that theory as well that they're the ones in the chests and they're vampires themselves Mm -hmm. so back to the caskets and the nuns for a second though fearing that something supernatural was afoot you know and the word vampire circulating to ensure that the convent and the citizens of new orleans safety the ursuline nuns spared no expense to guarantee that nothing ever left the third floor of the convent They ordered the attic door to be bolted shut. And as the story goes, 800 nails that were sent from Rome that had been blessed by the Pope sealed the attic um, doors and windows. To the onlookers of the city, this was frightening, of course, because these windows were mysteriously shuttered. Like, no other windows in the French Quarter are bolted shut. Why this? What's going on in this convent? So many say that this is where the legend and myths, the mysteries of the vampires of New Orleans may have been born. Obviously, lots of speculation. Tales of Dracula had already been circulating in other parts of the world. Later in the 70s, author and gothic novelist Anne Rice, who's wildly famous for her work, Interview with the Vampire, Mm -hmm. which was later adapted to film, like fueled this same kind of story of the city. There's always this thing where the city has that kind of like damp and seedy thing. So it's not far reached to think like something else could be going on. So a lot of people think that that's where this was attributed to. In 1978, there was an alleged account. There's many different iterations of this told. But two paranormal investigators basically wanted to try to prove this one way or the other. They camped out in front of the convent and... Supposedly, they were not allowed on the property. They had been kicked off for loitering, something to that extent. So they took it upon themselves to stay the night and see if they could catch a glimpse of something to corroborate the story. Hours passed. Nothing happened. They were like, we have to keep going. At some point in time, they fall asleep. The next morning, however, their bodies, the bodies of the investigators, were found. They were torn open, ravaged. And their bodies had been drained of all the blood. Oh, snap. Yeah. So perhaps it was a savage animal, a beast, found them, ripped them to shreds. Yeah, but what drains your blood? The idea that it pointed to the vampires, the filets a la cassette. It's a vampire. The casket. Girls, yeah. 
They vowed to suck your blood. Legend goes that it actually, in fact, was the vampires that night for those two paranormal investigators. Well, they found what they were looking for. Yeah. Obviously, today we know that the legend of the vampire lives on. There's stories ingrained in books and films. Some are a little more sinister than others, which this is more myth and kind of folklorish kind of vibe. But it doesn't take long to do a little bit of a search around vampires to actually come across the more sinister true crime cases actually involving vampires. So maybe we'll go there at some point. Some of them are a bit um, a bit hard to read. I had to like take a moment, but... I mean, there's people that drink blood to this yeah. day and do vampire things. So to wrap up, again, myth, truth, of course, a modern day look at the story. It's not really that hard to see that... A little hypothesis in science around some of the things. This actually was not the first attempt to bring women to the city, as I mentioned. There were a few attempts to bring women. The city became more unruly. So perhaps that even tainted the arrival of the girls on this third round. They were like, oh, here we go again. Wait, these ones are even weirder. Obviously, we have modern medicine today as well. So if you look back at the time, disease and consumption and epidemics just running rampant a lot of them with the similar symptoms to vampires yeah so the blood-stained lips for example like tuberculosis you're probably coughing up blood pale same thing and like they didn't know that back then right exactly we have modern medicine we can identify these things but it was just coincidence for them like oh everybody's starting to get sick and have all these other weird things and these girls are here sensitivity to light is common with some of those diseases so where you're just like oh my god like your eyes are hurting from Mm -hmm. the bright light and these women were on the ship for six months also coming from places that in new orleans if you're you know let's say a cajun person and you're living there like your skin you know is more when it comes to sunburns and things like that you know if you're a european young woman who has been out of the sun you're probably gonna burn yeah And then disappearances, likely due to crime. I mean, there were things happening, too, that could have been going on behind the scenes. So, yeah. Crimes, illnesses, accidents, you know, it all happens to this day, obviously. So, yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. I mean, I've been to New Orleans many times. I have, obviously, friends that live there. And we've never done any of the, like, spooky... You should. It's super interesting. I think we actually should do a whole episode on New Orleans. Yeah. Because, I mean, even the whole city is just built on swamp land, mm-hmm. which means, like, all those diseased bodies were, like, rising at some mm-hmm. point, And there's just dead bodies all over the yeah, city. Floating, like floating, literally. Yeah, so that's what I want to... That is something we should do. We yeah, should do an episode sure. on New Orleans. There's a ton. There's actually so many cities that have, like, great, just historical, interesting things that kind of lead into true crime or mystery. So. Yeah. Think that could be a fun thing to do oh good job yeah we got some spooky spooky today yeah going a little different route it was fun to like kind of go back and forth on some shorter stories yeah again there's a lot of these stories where it's like myth legends or just not a lot behind them yeah. so it's still kind of fun to cover these right so some of my sources, again, kind of like you, a lot of them had a similar take in the story. I couldn't, I kept trying to dig a little bit deeper on some of the disappearances and things like that. And there's just, especially being so long ago, um, there wasn't a lot that I could find outside of the basic tale. 
obviously there's a lot of history around like the convent and stuff to this day. It's a museum. You can go tour the museum. But some of the sources, Edward Branley in a gonola.com article. Um, a lot of the articles actually also had unnamed authors, um, but from folklorethursday.com, um, New Orleans legendary walking tours.com, Kelly Marchman McNeely in a horrorfield.com article, and a women in American history article. Good job. This was fun. I like our spooky series. Yeah, I know. There's always like, it's interesting when you're like researching spooky things because you get the gamut from like, true crime is true crime, right? And But then spooky crosses to like so many different. Yeah, it can go supernatural. It could go just legends. Yes. And then some are like horror, gore, like really dark, you know, sinister things. So it's really interesting that it does cover so many aspects. Witchcraft, like voodoo, you know. Oof, yeah. We yeah, can I do almost, a whole I other part of that. Rabbit hole as well. Well, thank you for joining yeah. us, everyone. As always, email us at dreamsandscreamspod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. If you want to say hi, if you want to send us stories. If you have any creepy, spooky stories that you've experienced we want to hear it and always follow us on instagram at dreams and screams pod uh, we're always posting some content for you guys see, see you soon, soon. bye, bye.